Welcome to City Life Church Podcast. Our desire is that all may come to know Christ and fulfill their purpose in life. We welcome you to head over to our website for more information. God bless you and enjoy the message. Thank you. Praise God. Okay. It's great. I've got the I've got the slides in the back, and whenever they get the projector running up here, we may get them up here too, which is fine. I do like to put slides together when I do share. I consider myself a teacher and not as skilled preacher in the classic traditional sense of preaching, but I do love to share the word. I do love to dig in. I do love to share what God reveals and, and shows us in his word. So that's, that's what I love to do. So I can guarantee you I'll be sharing. I'm not sure if I'll be preaching, but uh, we'll see about that. And I, I believe that every time we get into the word, it has the, a powerful ability to affect and impact our lives. So I just want to pray really quick as we get started. Lord, I thank you for this opportunity to share this morning, Lord God, and the, the insights, Lord God, the, the power that is in your word and in your message, Lord. I just pray you would bless my words this morning, that you would order my thoughts, Lord, to speak clearly what you've put in my heart to deliver. We thank you for this. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 All right. I am going to continue this morning on the series that Pastor Steve started a month or more ago, Gospel Influence. There's been some great messages Pastor Steve has shared and Brother Tony has shared and Gospel Impact, and there's some great things from there, but there's some, just a couple things that the Lord really kind of highlighted to me, and I, I thought, you know, this would be really good to just kind of continue in this, this vein and uh, continue on with that. So what I, I have this morning is a couple key verses of the gospel, about the gospel. And the first one is in Matthew 2, 23. And it says, And Jesus went all about Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom. And that word preaching has this sense of heralding. And if you know what a herald is, it's, it's like the guy with a trumpet that announces and proclaims ahead of something the good news the king is coming there's been a great thing prepared that sense of herald that's in that word preaching the gospel of the kingdom of god that's an exciting thing that's the first use of the word gospel in the bible matthew 2 23 the second verse i have is luke 4 18 the spirit of the lord is upon me for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that the captives be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free. This is a very interesting verse in Luke. It's one of the first moments where Jesus, in his public ministry, goes into the synagogue and he takes the scroll, and it's, it's of the book of Isaiah, and he reads this verse, and he says, today this verse is fulfilled in your ears, and it's his mission statement, Jesus' mission statement, and really the core of the gospel message is in here, good news to the poor, freedom for the captives, the blind will see, and the oppressed will be set free. There's so much in that in what God wants to do for 
the world. For us, spiritually, for a world bound in darkness, for people who are lost, who are captives, that word captive is actually prisoner of war. They've been taken prisoner during conflict that have been taken prisoner by the enemy. He's here to bring that back. That's some exciting stuff. So I, I like to take a few minutes to kind of dig into the meaning of the word gospel and its background. We kind of talked about a little bit about this. What does the gospel mean? What does gospel, the word, mean? Good news. Good news. Exactly. That's what it means. It means good news. It comes from Old English, God spell. And in the Old English, the word God here is not necessarily God as in the Father God. It's actually just another spelling or different way of saying good. So it's good and spell, story, tale, tidings. That's the sense of, of that. So it's, it's means basically the good news, but it has this kind of rich flavor to it. And it was something that was translated or brought in from Latin. If we step back from Old English into Latin, Latin, the word was bona annuncia, which again means good news. Uh, annuncia kind of has like announcement or proclamation sense of it too. So there's some, some neat things in there. And then we get back to the word that's used in our New Testament, that's actually the Greek word, euangelion. Euangelion. It's an interesting word here, and there's some words that come from it that we are familiar with. Evangelize, evangelist all come from this. And it has, again, the sense of good news. Eu, the, the E-U up here, is good. And angelion, angelios, angelos, is message, angelos, a messenger, and that's the word used that we classically use, angel. In the Greek, it's angelos or angelos. So the angels are messengers, and this is the good message, the good news. So it has that kind of sense to it. But then as you look at this word and how it was used in the broader context of that society, when Jesus preached and the, the gospels were written, it also has this sense of a victory proclamation. A new angelion was a victory proclamation. Has anybody ever heard of a marathon? Pastor Steve, do you have any familiarity with anybody ever run marathon, half marathon, anything like that? We have one runner here. Anybody who ever run at all? Uh, so I've run a little bit, never a marathon. So does anybody know where the word marathon comes from? Chris knows. So we have a couple. So it's a, an actual place in Greece, and it was a place of a battle that took place. And one of the things that happened, and the reason why we have the marathon running event that we define today, it was the distance from Marathon, and I believe it was to Athens, that the runner came to bring the word of victory after the battle in Marathon. So he's running, and he runs 24-ish miles, right? That's how long a marathon? 26. 26 miles, thank you. I've not run a marathon before. 26 miles, and brings the euangelion that there was victory, that we won, and that's a, a victory proclamation of it. It's got this real sense of, hey, there's good news here. It's a victory. And then another really cool aspect of that is not just a victory proclamation 
part of this, but it also has another flavor or depth in the meaning, which is reward for good news. So that runner who brought the euangelion, he didn't just bring it because they needed to know. When he got to the end and he delivered the message, there was an expectation that he was going to get recompensed. He was going to be rewarded for bringing the good news. And if there were two guys who had the message, the guy that was first got the reward. So there was some incentive to bring the message and get there as fast as you could. Now, it's interesting. We see in the book of 2 Samuel, chapter 4, verse 10, in the Greek version of the Old Testament called the Septuagint, the word euangelion is used here. Now, this is the kind of a, it's a, it's a story where David is there, Saul, King Saul has died, and this guy thinks, hey, I'm going to go let David know that Saul's dead. So he runs over, and he hurries, and he gets to David's camp, and he shows up. Hey, I got good news. I got good news. I got Evangelion. King Saul's dead. Now, there's a little more to the story that uh, didn't turn out so good for this runner. His reward was not so good because it wasn't really a good message he was bringing. But that word is used there. So it's that reward for good news. His expectation was he was going to be rewarded. That there, when he was bringing the victory proclamation. All right. Good news. Oh, one other point about this here. The word euangelion was not only used just in Greek, but Greek was a common language in the ancient world. But the Romans used Latin as well. Latin was kind of the more official government language. And the thing is, they borrowed this word into Latin. They, they used it, they would write in Latin, and they would say, yeah, I have euangelion for you. I've got some euangelion about Aunt Tina. She had a baby, or whatever. They, they, would, they would use the same word like they borrowed it into there. It was so significant to them with the meaning that it had that they borrowed it in. It's like we might use manana. Like, hey, manana. <laughs> it's a word that's not in English, right? But we know what it means. It kind of has this later, whatever, but they borrowed it in. So it's kind of a, a neat thing. So good news, victory proclamation, reward. That's what the word gospel means. It's kind of pretty neat and pretty deep. So the gospel message has this sense of bringing that good news and that victory proclamation. But if we kind of look back at Jesus' mission statement, I've come to bring liberty to the captives. I've come to bring healing. I've come to bring sight to the blind. I've come to set the oppressed free. That's some good news. I want to get into kind of a little exploration of the gospel message. And one of the things that's interesting in it is that it has a fundamental contrast to the world system. The way the world does things and the way the gospel does things are fundamentally different. We see in John 10.10, the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. Pastor Steve shared this, right? But I have come that you might have Life. life and that more abundantly. There's a difference right there. The thief's Mission is to kill, steal, and destroy, to take captive, to make people blind, to kill, to steal. But Jesus is bringing life and freedom. And the other thing that we see is that the gospel message is so much more often about our inward heart motivations. A lot of other religions tell you, don't do this, don't do that, behave this way, 
If you're a Muslim, like Tony was shared a couple times ago, you've got to pray five times every day, face Mecca. You should do a pilgrimage to Mecca, you know, as part of the five pillars of faith and everything. And there's all these prescriptions on things you do, things you don't do. But the Bible, the gospel message is much more about what's in here. And you see that from the law versus the gospel. In the Old Testament, it was, you know, you have to do this. You have to do these sacrifices. You have to, you know, and the Pharisees and Sadducees laid it on there even thicker. But Jesus came and brought much more about the inward heart motivations. One of the good examples of that Paul gives us in Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 through 25. He contrasts what can be termed as the acts of the flesh versus the fruits of the Spirit. And we've, we've seen these before, acts of the flesh, sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. That's some pretty gross, worldly, nasty stuff. But it's really pretty much where the enemy and the world system wants us However, the gospel says the fruits of the Spirit, when we have that gospel motivation, that good news motivation influencing our life, they are love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Those are inward. It's not that we are being controlled and it's just that I did pray my five times today, but inside... I may be sitting down on the outside, but I'm standing up on the inside kind of thing. No, no, it's much more about that inner heart. And so the gospel contrast is there. I, I have another slide here. I'd like to ask you to think of some others. I just kind of brainstormed a little bit about contrast between the world system or between the flesh and, and spirit. And I'm going to read these off, but if I want you to, be, to think of some and be ready to give me some, some extras. So pride versus humility. Immorality versus purity. This contrast here. Hate versus love. Vengeance versus forgiveness. Jealousy versus generosity. Deception versus honesty. The whole an eye for an eye, but no, turn the other cheek. Love your neighbors and do good to them, but Jesus says go beyond that. Love your, love your enemies. So can you think of some other contrast from the word or that are in the gospel message that I might not have got up here because I'm pretty sure I missed some. Charity versus greed. Charity versus greed. Yes. Great. Acceptance versus uh, isolation or separation. Good. Rejection, isolation, separation versus acceptance. Excellent. Yes. Fear versus peace. Yes. Fear versus peace. Fear versus peace. Yeah. So that kind of, in this gospel message, this proclamation of victory, we've also got this whole, this whole contrast of how things are in the world and how things are in the carnal nature and how things might be try to be regimented if we try to live by the law or by religious rules versus really where's our heart and is our heart changed and is our heart being impacted are those fruits of the spirit what's coming out it's interesting that when you have this motivation within you when you have the gospel message living in you and it's changing it's impacting you there will come without question a confrontation. That gospel message challenges. It challenges the world's way of doing things. It challenges 
the inner heart. It challenges the way things are going on around us. The gospel message challenged the moral state of first century society. So when the Bible was written, when, the, when Jesus came, he challenged with his message through the truth and through the love that was in him. He challenged. And it didn't have to be you know, a fight with swords on a natural level. It was a fight and a conflict in the spiritual much more. In two areas we can see that it was challenged. The hyper-religious Judaic culture of Israel, the law, the Pharisees that, I mean, they were so into the nitnoid details of the prescriptions of the law that they would take their little container of mustard and they'd shake it all out, the mustard powder, and they'd, you know, get exactly a tenth of it and separate it off, and then that would be their tithe. You know, or they would take a whole shaker of sesame seeds, right? And you got how many thousand sesame seeds? I don't know, but they were counting and getting the exact 10%. Okay, those are for, there's kind of that level of detail. And there's hyper-religious. And, you know, Jesus in the Gospels, he's often confronting these guys and saying, you're missing the point. It's not about that. It's about the heart relationship. You've heard it said, do not kill. But I say to you, don't even be hangry in your heart. Whoa. You know, you've heard it said, don't commit adultery. But I say to you, don't even look with lust upon a woman. Wow, there's, you get into the heart motivation. Not only did it conflict with the legalistic, religious environment, but also the twisted, hedonistic culture of the Roman Empire. There's a lot in what was going on in the Roman Empire that is kind of similar to today. But without a doubt, there was a amazing level of depravity, I would call it, in the Roman culture. If you think about the Colosseums, what they were built for, we see there's a Colosseum still in Rome, and you know it's mostly fallen down, but there's, it's a good part of it still up. And when you think that what they did there was they had battles, like gladiatorial battles, where they would have people that were prisoners or slaves, and they'd have them fight each other and, you know, kill each other for entertainment value. Or they would have, they'd put them up against lions or bears or whatever other savage animals that they could have. And the level of depravity that they embraced as a culture is kind of similar in a lot of ways to what our culture has embraced in terms of what we take in as entertainment. And the things that we allow in our society, there's still, I think, within our, our own selves and within the people of God, there's definitely a stance against that. But as an overall culture, what we have accepted, even in America, has gone a long way toward that same thing. Bottom line, selfishness, and if it feels good, do it. Kind of was a thing in the 60s, right? 60s and 70s, it feels good, do it. It doesn't hurt anybody, man. Whatever you want to do, just do it and pursue pleasure. It doesn't matter. But God's so clear in so many ways about how when we are changed inside, we don't need to be slaves to those desires. We don't need to be captives. We don't need to give into those. We don't need to pursue those. We can pursue godliness, peace, righteousness, love, joy, and faith. So the gospel brought a confrontation as people's lives were transformed, as the believers were transformed. There was an 
outworking of that inner transformation. I want to take a couple more minutes here to talk about the gospel legacy. And particularly in the first century, the book of Acts gives us a pretty good understanding of the Apostle Paul and his life after his conversion. Pastor Steve shared a message on Saul being converted to Paul and shared some of those things. I'm not going to go deep into Paul here, but we know that Paul, when he got that message, that good news, he also understood that there was reward, and he pressed into that race. He embraced it. He used that sense of race and running the race in a lot of his writings. He said, I'm running for the prize. I'm pressing on to the goal, to the mark, to the high calling. But he also understood that there would be a cost, and he was willing to pay the cost, no matter what it was. He was dedicated to proclaiming the Evangelion, the gospel, and counted his life a fair exchange. You know, we know he suffered persecution and imprisonment for the gospel's sake. In 2 Corinthians, I want to say, I didn't note the address, he gives a list of, hey, I've served and I've suffered and there's been this, 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 and this. He says he was flogged, he was beaten, he was stoned, he was shipwrecked, he was in prison, he was cold, hungry, and adrift on an open sea. He went through all of those things willingly and without any qualm because he knew that the reward was great. He knew that he could run the race. He knew if he pressed in as he brought the message that it would transform the world. That's pretty interesting, and it made me think also of Paul's story is told pretty well in the book of Acts, but we don't really see the rest of the story. And I wanted to kind of take an overview of what happened to the rest of the 12 apostles. And church history, church tradition kind of gives us some ideas of where the apostles went and where they brought the message and also what happened to them. And I kind of want to go over that a little bit. I've got a map here. This is basically the Roman Empire world around the Mediterranean Sea. And this is Italy and Rome's here. And then this is Palestine, Israel, where Jesus started his ministry and the disciples basically started too, the apostles. And throughout the first century AD, they ended up spreading the gospel message all over basically the known world at the time. I'm going to just give you a summation of what some of these results are. So in 44 AD, James, the son of Zebedee, John's brother, was killed in Jerusalem by Herod Agrippa. And we see that actually written in the book of Acts. We know that that's recorded. And after that, the persecution of the church there helped spread them. They left Jerusalem and they got out of there and they started going other places to bring the message. And so then they ended up kind of all over, which is kind of a good thing. Philip, they say in 54 AD, he was killed by a Roman proconsul in Asia Minor here. But he also probably had an impact on Carthage, this area of North Africa. So Philip got around, and just like the Apostle Paul in the book of Acts, he tells us about his missionary journeys as he went here and there and, and kind of all over the Mediterranean and the Roman world there. Philip did the same thing. He got out there. Andrew in 60 AD, he was crucified in Nero's reign, and he got into uh, Scythia and Asia Minor, so in this area. He was probably, it was probably actually in Greece. Andrew was in Greece, Scythia and Greece. So he was, he was crucified here under the, uh, the reign of Nero. 
in 66 AD, Peter and Paul both died in Rome under Nero. They say Peter was crucified upside down because he didn't feel worthy to be crucified in the same manner as Jesus. And Paul was beheaded. Paul, of course, we know kind of where he went. Peter, we know he was also in Babylon. So Peter got all the way over here into the region that we know as Iraq or Mesopotamia, but he died in Rome. In 72 AD, Thaddeus, or Jude, was ministering in Parthia in Asia Minor, and he was crucified. In 74 AD, Simon the Zealot was crucified in Persia, which is this area here, Persia, Parthia, which is our modern-day Iran. And then those are the, the ones that we kind of have dates on their probable death. But we have kind of an idea of where the others ministered and died. We don't know when they, when they died. James, the son of Alphaeus, was stoned. He ministered in Syria. Matthias was burned in Syria. He had ministered in Armenia and in Ethiopia, all the way down below Egypt. We know Matthew also brought the word to Egypt. And they say that he was most likely stabbed to death. Thomas and Bartholomew both ended up bringing the word to India, and Thomas was speared to death. And Bartholomew, there's a number of different ideas of how he might have passed away, but they think he passed away in India as well. He'd also ministered in Arabia. So by the time that these guys, and the last one is John, and we know that he was alive toward the end of the first century, 90, 80, 99, maybe right around there, the turn of the century. He was in Patmos near Ephesus, in Asia Minor, one of the main centers of Christianity in Asia Minor, he ministered there until his, he was very old. He might have been martyred or might not. There's, there's not real clear sense of what happened to him. The thing is, they were so motivated by the message that they were willing to put their lives on the line. They're willing to step out of their comfort zone. They're willing to stand up and be counted. They're willing, even unto the death, to proclaim the good news to bring the message of victory. They knew they had a reward. I'm going to conclude here. The thing about the good news, the Evangelion, it's just as relevant today as it was in the first century on an individual level and on a societal level. It's just as relevant, has just as much impact, has just as much meaning today as it was then. It's just as life-changing and just as important. I'd like to kind of end with this thought with another use of the the word gospel in Ephesians chapter 6 verse 15 Paul when he talks about the armor of God the last thing in the list of the armor of God is having your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace having your feet shod how is a feet shod well shod shoe like a horse's shod with horseshoes no but we get to put shoes on right we get to wear shoes and the idea was that you would put something on your feet that would protect you from whatever might be dangerous in your path in the world I don't know about you uh, I am a tenderfoot If I try to walk around barefoot outside, I inevitably step on some sharp or pokey rock, and I don't like that, and it hurts, and I don't do do barefoot. But not only 
doesn't protect us, it also leaves an imprint. When I was a kid, I used to like to try to figure out what kind of shoe prints I saw. And I lived in a small town, and I often was semi-successful in identifying the type of shoe print that I saw. Is this a Nike or a Converse? What, what is this? And I could, I could pick that out, and I remember sometimes going, oh, hey, that's a cool one. And I'm like, I wonder who that is. And that's a small foot that's about my size. And then, like, hey, was another, was another kid here? And I remember at one point going, oh, wait, that was me. That's my footprint. <laughs> uh, a quick, quick side one here. Nike, right? Nike came out when I was a kid. Does anybody know what Nike means? Nike is a Greek word, by the way. Nike means victory. So now we all have to wear Nikes if we're going to, no, no. We're going to, victory, no. But I thought that was, hey, kind of interesting. Having our feet shod with the gospel of peace, the message of victory, the proclamation of victory, that there's a reward also associated with that. And as we go about our life, the Bible says everywhere your foot shall tread shall be given to you, right? It says, how lovely on the mountains are the feet of them who bring good news. Paul quotes that from Isaiah 52. He quotes it in Romans 10. There's a sense that the gospel is kind of where the rubber meets the road in our lives. We have to be aware. We have to be cognizant. And we have to mindfully put it on. Put on the gospel of peace. Put it on before you go out. Put on. Let it touch the world everywhere you step. Let it leave a gospel-shaped footprint everywhere you go. Not a bread-shaped footprint. Gospel. The message. The tracks we leave shouldn't look like our footprints. They should look like a good news. This whole message series has been really good. I've gotten so much out of it. I think that that, for me, that reminder from Ephesians 6, put your feet on, put your, put the gospel on where you make contact with the world. Put that on the interface between you and them. It's, it's often a good practice to daily just pray the armor of God over us. That's great. I have a lot more insight right now into having my feet shod with the gospel of peace than I had before. And so I would just encourage us to be mindful of that, to, to be conscious of that. Lord, when we go out, when we prepare each day, wherever we go, whoever we're in contact with, Lord, let our feet be shod with the gospel of peace. Let our interface with the world be a proclamation of victory. Lord, let it be that transformative outworking of the inner transformation of our life. Lord, let that message just resonate wherever our feet strike. Whether we say it with words or we live it with our life, Lord, let that gospel be what touches the world through us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to City Life Church Podcast. 